Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric. With me is my co-host, Robert. Hello. And we've got quite a bit of news this particular week to get you guys ready right before uh, the Christmas holiday. So getting into the meat of it, uh, the last major event of the season, the Las Vegas Open the mission packs as well as the player pack is now available just recently released uh, you can find that both on the flg game page and also a lot of folks have been finding this uh, in their mailbox if you already have tickets so um some key dates to remember like when i need to update my computer because it's a little lagging at the moment there we go so probably the key thing is uh, your time is running out if you need to still decide on a list. Um, all this must be in by January 17th. I will repeat that. January 17th is the list submission deadline. Any conversions are also due the day be- uh, two days before that. And also two days before that, January 15th, will be the rules cutoff. The team also made a stipulation that any changes to the GW mission pack. For example, if GW releases the 2022 mission pack, which they splashed uh, at the uh, last GW event in Grapevine, it doesn't matter. They will be using the 2021 mission pack regardless of when that comes out. So just keep practicing the missions that you're practicing and uh, you'll be ready for Las Vegas. They will be using player optimized terrain. They gave pictures of what that terrain will look like on each table. They have, uh, looks like about five themes. And uh, the only thing I don't like about these pictures is it doesn't tell you how big the terrain pieces are, but uh, these are all commercially available terrain pieces from, you guessed it, Frontline Gaming. And um, so, hey, uh, Robert, what missions are gonna be on the docket for the LVO? Well, we're going to start all the way at round one. I just need to actually, there they are. So starting round one, can't go wrong. Starting with mission number 11, good old retrieval mission. And then round two is going to be scorched earth. Hashtag we, we made it first. (laughs) (laughs) Copyright infringement still pending. (laughs) Uh, And then round three is Vile Intelligence. So literally the first three missions of the entire packet. Someone must have gotten lucky and rolled a lot of ones for the tens, I guess. From what I understand from playtesters, the missions were designed to be played in this order. At least in a narrative fashion, but <laughs> I, don't. I wouldn't know. Um, so then on day two, which is Saturday, so that's an important thing to note. Round one is on the Friday of January 28th. So yeah, so you can't show up Friday to play your first round on Saturday. You need to be there Friday morning to play your first round. But the second day is mission 21 of Surround and Destroy. Mission number five is number 22 of Battle Lines. It's almost like a theme here. Mm-hmm. And then round six. Round six is probably the most controversial mission in the entire book. Because it makes or breaks armies, um, the scouring. Why do you think that makes it so divisive? Well, it is one of the hardest missions to play in the book because it is a control two, control three, control more with five objectives. And the deployment zone is squished together. So you're, I actually just played this mission tonight for good reason. Um, So you're, 
there's a total of 16 inches chopped off your deployment zone on either side, but you're shoved forward, so you're only about 28 inches apart on the table. There are no objectives in your deployment zones, and you have to go meet in the public swimming pool and play nice with others or make a bloodbath. It's your choice. So it's a, it is the go hard, go home mission for a lot of people. Now that actually might be a very telling way of describing that particular mission because only the top eight who move forward, if there's um, a, they're, they're still bringing back the shadow rounds so at the end of round six, that they don't have, enough uh undefeated players they will have a play-in round so yeah go go in hard or go home is pretty good description of round six because if you're on the cusp of making it into the playoffs you need to win that round Mm -hmm. and specifically the the qualifier round applies to anyone from fifth place to 12th place so if you're in first through fourth you just you go to the next day which is pretty crazy to think about this because they're expecting you know only a thousand players <laughs> yeah trust me i'm still trying to swallow that pill <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 definitely a sight to see and then something where uh, that's the whole reason i went to the first one so i gotta see this i went to nova and i thought that was huge and you're trying to tell me there's going to be more than that and yeah it's deafening and it's one of those things where going four and two you're just lost in the sea of players but you don't realize just how difficult it really is to make these you know you play i went five and one and you end up like in 50th place and i mean you tell somebody outside of and outside the sport even outside of familiar with lvo i came in 50th place they're like dude you suck we're like no it's a huge accomplishment so all right day three what does day three look like Well, day three is the last third of the book. So it is overrun, which is 31, into 32, which is sweep and clear. And then number three through, which is priority target. So interesting, we just mentioned how elite the top eight will be on that Sunday. Uh, For those of you who are staying for the RTT, which is actually the start of the 2022 ITC season, you'll be playing the same missions. So may behooves you to practice all nine of these missions on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and the um the other little fun note that is actually towards in the top of the packet when you get into these last three rounds or if you're on stream flg will supply you dice to use and you have to use those dice or at least I know it's for the last three rounds. I'm not sure about the stream table. But yeah, that's... So if you're not used to rolling Vegas dice, guess what? You get to roll Vegas dice and those suckers are pointy. <laughs> yeah. I get the point of that. That was actually... You know, it's funny how we talk about player meta. There's also like a tournament meta. And that was mm-hmm. the big thing. Well, I've lost track of time at this point. It's probably six, seven years ago. There was a major event. It was the Feast of Blades. That was kind of the precursor to lvo the idea is that each state would have a a smaller tournament the winner of that one would represent their state at the the national finals type thing a very reputable player who actually makes a living painting commission bought a bulk dice off the off ebay and didn't realize that um 
one of the dice had was didn't have all six numbers on it. <laughs> Unfortunately, his opponent found it before he did and had to mm -hmm. forfeit uh, after winning the tournament. So it was a very ugly turn of events. So it became the where tournament organizers was like, well, how do you fix that? You and it became the door price. Thank you for coming to my tournament. You will be using this dice today. And people are like, what? I brought my lucky dice. Sorry. Oh, your lucky dice has two fives and a six on it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was a big deal. Um, but interesting to see yeah. they're still going back to that. Honestly, it's something that I really enjoy because it's a nice balanced form of regulation. So everyone uses the same dice. Everyone's on the same terrain. What it comes down to is player skill and just the die roll at that point. Yep. So the paintbrush is still a point of contention as well, is that they are still enforcing battle-ready standards throughout the tournament, and they will pull your models off the table if they do not meet those standards. So I think that was very interesting. I'm looking for that same language they talked about um where they talked about units and um attachment demarcations i remember if they still had those guidelines in there well looking through the packet here um there's no definition for it in the actual paint section so at that point maybe it's attached to the itc code of conduct at that be. point it might be uh, I hear what you're saying about the streaming rules real quick. If you are also uh, have a lust to be on the airwaves across the nation being viewed by hundreds of 4K, 40K fans across the world, uh, make sure all your models are GW models. Um, not only do they need to be battle-ready, they don't want to see any uh, toughest girls of the galaxy sisters of battle out there. So, <laughs> Or, you know, um, <clears throat> these are my rogue Marines of the world takers legion. <laughs> Actually, the biggest thing I'm worried about is, uh, during fifth edition, uh, when I last played chaos space Marines, I had a demon prince from creature casters. Uh, so they're a company that specializes in greater demons. And this thing was uh, very slanishy. Matter of fact, most people didn't know what it was is called the boob demon. <laughs> and that is definitely not a GW. First of all, is that a Forgeworld model? So it's, no, no, it's from an independent company called Creature Caster. And um, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it's like, I oh, guess I won't be able to use that at GW events. So it's too bad. I mean, at the same time, I've seen a lot of those other models, like the ones that they have for stand-in Bloodthirsters mm -hmm. and Lords of Change and stuff. Those things are a little over the top. So I'm a little over the top. Also, got to be very careful with size. That was another thing, um, especially now that GW has changed the size of the Greater Demons. She no longer would qualify really as a Greater Demon. I'm pretty sure uh, Selexi is taller than this model. Mm -hmm. So now I'm kind of like, I guess it's just a Demon Prince now. And um, so yeah, you always got to be a little careful with some of those things. But um, you know, like Spell Crow comes out with some great bits. You got to be careful about that. Um, all kinds of little things like that. There's some really cool models out. I know for, um, I know Thick City is the currently the hot build for Drakari, which is a heavy coven build. Well, good luck getting uh, grotesques for your army because GW only makes one pose in fine cast. 
So there is another company that comes out with alternate sculpts, and they're, I think they're called Void Golems or something clever like that. They look really awesome, but um, they're not GW models. And also, even though I'm using um, HF Sigmar, actually, they're, I think they're pre-HF Sigmar. Anyway, some sort of great, uh, vampire creature. Like the Crypt Ghouls That's and stuff like that? Yeah, I didn't know what they were. I have Crypt Ghouls with all with um, Talos face masks and a whole bunch of those vials sticking out the back. And make sure to get your um, your conversion submissions back in. So That one I'm not worried about. They're pretty close, and I've submitted them three times now, so I think I should be okay. But I don't know if I'll actually bring that list. I'm not sure. So we'll get to that later in the show. Well, I know my game tonight proved that I like my I like my kill rigs. I like my potato steeds, as I call them. <laughs> and they're just fun models, and the list that I'm taking is has power behind it. I just need to actually learn how to properly guide my potatoes in the right direction. <laughs> Keep them away from the crisper. Um, you'd be surprised they they want to eat the crisper. <laughs> Anyway, um, so would you want to cover the terrain rules with us today, Eric, or are we going to move on to other things? I think the hardest part with the terrain rules is, um, I mean, nothing's really changed. If you've been to a uh, event, the probably the biggest thing I'm seeing is which keywords go to which terrain piece. And it's going to be hard to do on the radio because they have, not all ruins are created equal and because way the... Uh, LFLG terrain is made. So, but the long short of it is it is player optimized. Each of you alternate placing a terrain piece. And um, there are certain ones with asterisks next to each other, which just means they need to be further away from other uh, terrain pieces. That's kind of the, the quick version. There's a great video on the packet as well showing you how to do it. But um, yeah, my biggest concern is remembering what is this piece? What keywords go to this piece again? So, Mm-hmm. They they they're, yeah. they are different from the rule book. So yeah, there. <clears throat> one thing I would recommend for people going because I know FLG isn't against it. Um, yeah, I think you can print out a copy of the packet and have the pictures available that have the numbers attached to each of the terrain pieces, and you can make a like a little shorthand thing of oh, this is that, this is that, this is that. So that way you're fast on your feet about and you're not struggling to remember right i would highly recommend it uh and also you get if you can't get practice games you know if anything i mean I, what i might do is actually print out small index cards so if i have to put them next to the the terrain pieces so i remember because the way they have it in the packet is it has keywords one three five and eleven and if you don't remember what those stand for you have to go back to another page on the packet so that way i might just write up obscuring you know, ones that pertain to my army the most. So, so which ones are area terrain? Because there's one that looks like an obstacle, and it says no. There's three of them on one base. It's counting as area terrain. So that right off the bat is going what? Okay, mm-hmm. that's it's not saying they're wrong. I'm not saying it's bad for the game. It's just not how my brain is wired currently. So I have to kind of rewire it for this event in the next six weeks. Yep. But otherwise, um, as as a new person going to LVO who's done this a lot, <clears throat> well, at least the player optimized terrain, I don't think there's anything other, anything really surprisingly new in the LVO packet 
that they don't put into their normal packets. Now, I think if you've been to another FLG event, uh, I think you'll be pretty well versed in what they expect and what the, the event will be like. And uh, I think that's where, you know, that's been a huge advantage that you've been to a few of those events where I have not. So I'm going to be like trying to remember what this is going to be like, especially because it's going to be in a new venue. That's going to be also a bit strange, you know, go, mm-hmm. you know, been to the, the last venue three times already. So I was like, okay, yeah, nowhere to expect. Know exactly how long it takes the elevator to get my army from point A to point B. No big deal. Yeah, but that's going to be the fun bit. <clears throat> Here's a question. One of the things that they're running, which I think is quite clever, is that Thursday night, in what they're doing is if you sign up, Vanguard Tactics is actually do, doing a walkthrough of the terrain and the tables and teaching you for a fee how to set up the board that's best for your army and for your opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something you'd be interested in, or is that you think just a money grab? Well, <clears throat> I know Steven Vox is really passionate about this hobby and teaching people and any way to help out people in this hobby is a great way to do it. Like sure. Doing it LVO for a fee. That's a, that's a business decision and I'm not going to knock him for it. But at the same time, the, the skill of placing terrain in this kind of format is something that you can have explained but the practice is more important than the explanation. That's really well put. I'll just leave it at that. Thank you, Robert. (laughs) I've learned the hard way. (laughs) Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. So speaking of new rules that will not be used at LVO, uh, the uh, Tau Empire got a bit of a, a full makeover. And this is something that a lot of players have been saying, oh, what are they going to do to make... You know, all they need is points adjustments to make them viable in Ninth edition. And I was like, if you really talk to some of the top Tau players especially Richard Siegler, he would tell you they weren't optimized for 8th edition. They kind of need a whole rework. And he was only using a third of the codex for a reason because he felt the rest of it was useless. So interesting, these two key changes. So everybody knows that um, there are two philosophies of battle. Of course, the Bonka and the Kayan. The Bonka is basically the Alpha Strike and the Kayan is the Patient Hunter. And in the past, these had like a one-time effect uh, once per game. They felt very War Machine. And this is not the case. These both got a significant rework. Uh, Robert, you want to lead us through the Montka? All right. <clears throat> so Montka, I'm going to call it Monkey because it's easier to say. <laughs> um, but no, Montka, it now lasts for the first three rounds of the game. So it's a continuous buff of... Each time you make a normal move or an advance until the end of the shooting phase, you count as stationary, which is a huge buff because obviously I'm pretty sure that's going to benefit riptides and broadsides and all of that stuff to make Tau more mobile. Um, it even helps uh, fire warriors. Good Greek. You know, they have all rapid fire weapons. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, and running up 
Because was it pulse carbines that are, are assault weapons, or are those rapid fire ones? They were assault weapons, so they they would lose the minus one. But now you can also do it with um, if you can a stationary doesn't your rapid fire then oh, you won't be able to fire them. Never mind. But either way, yeah, uh, it's still a lot of extra movement. Yeah. Um, and then <clears throat> the second benefit is each time a model in this unit makes a range attack against the closest eligible enemy unit. Within the range of the table it has, you improve the AP by one, and you naturally reroll wound rolls of one. So during round one, it's 18 inches. Turn two, it's 12 inches. And then turn three, you're danger close at nine inches, aka you're playing Farsight Enclave, and you're just like, I'm going to go punch you. So it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah, it's... it's Because it's... If I'm looking at this, right? It's range attacks. Okay, so it's mostly shooting. And I have to look at, it's been a while since I've seen the crisis suit loadout weapons, but I believe most of them are assault. There's not that many. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the uh, uh, broadside suits have mostly heavies, but I'm thinking the basic crisis suits and the commander suits. And I'm thinking like, yeah, the fusion blaster, I believe is assault. The old, the current uh, version of the ion cannon, I believe is assault as well. So yeah, like the sick, like ion or whatever. Yeah, that's the one. So this is interesting because so, the shorter board, you have all this movement, and oh mm-hmm. by the way, if you're within this range, rerolling once to wound, which adds up quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, and it's an interesting bit that specifies closest eligible enemy unit. Yeah. So at that point, like maybe there's some other tags for the actual models themselves, like oh, Riptide's shooting at a vehicle or a heavy support choice you get your Montcob benefits or something like that but obviously until the codex comes out which will be basically at the same time as custodes and gene sealer cult right at this rate um <clears throat> then yeah it could very well change how tau play i think like, that's army wide and you don't have to like uh-huh. compared to how it used to be you had to declare it and it was almost like, okay, here's my big turn. I got a plan ahead. That's why I thought it makes me think of War Machine. Now it's just like, I got it. Turn one. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Yeah. And like you had to do it within a certain range of the commander that calls it or something like that. Because right. I know there was a few named commanders that could do like Montka twice or Kaoyun twice or something like that. I think it was, yeah, Farsight and Shadow Sun were those two. I could be wrong, but... Those are the ones that come to mind. And that's what I'm wondering how what these guys will get. Can they extend this an extra round? Is that what their rule's going to be? Who knows? So, mm-hmm. pretty cool. Now we move to the Kion, the Patient Hunter. And this, this actually fits my, my play style. So, I'll go ahead and read this one. Uh, starting on Battle Round 3 in the last 3, 4, and 5. The unit is eligible to shoot in a turn in which it fell back, but if it does, until the end of the turn, each time a model makes it a ranged attack, subtract one from its attack roll. So right off the bat, towards the end of the game, I become an ultramarine. Okay, I, I'm already happy. But wait, there's more. Each time a model in this unit makes a ranged attack with that target's closest eligible enemy unit within 12 inches, if the model is not within engagement range of any enemy units and did not fall back this turn, an unmodified hit of that roll of the value shown on the table below scores an additional hit. So you're thinking like, okay, big deal. You get extra hits on sixes. That's pretty mundane. Yeah, on turn three, 
on turn four on fives and sixes, and on turn five, four fives and sixes. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to wrap my head around just how useful this really is. How much of, my, of a Tau army is generally alive in the later turns to benefit from this? Well, it, what that really depends on, because I know the menace that was Tau wasn't actually the the Riptides or any of the suits. It was those gosh darn shield drones with the saver protocols, because you would just flood the board with these things and just not take wounds. Um, now, if they changed that to be something less impactful, so that way you're moving around more often and making aggressive plays, on turn three, you're getting the last benefit of Montka and the first benefit of Kaoyun. So, like, turn three is when you have the optimal turn for Tau, given that the game isn't already decided at that point. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if you can run both the same army. So that's a good question. Because round three, well, like, yeah, you'd have the nine-inch kill range of rerolling ones to wound, and, by the way, getting extra hits on sixes. So yeah, something like... um. You take two turns for your fire warriors to get into position and plunk and plink off some wounds from a distance. And then you're just like, okay, it's turn three fire warriors and breachers go riptides fly advance, whatever you move your entire you position position for two turns. And then turn three is when you do the big jump forward and you just, you resurge back on your opponent and just go, here's my weight of dice. Well, speaking of which, uh, you mentioned, so I'm reading the article, one of the things they suggest is using stealth suits and ghost kill suits. Stealth suits, I believe, have a minus one to hit natively, but the bigger thing, when you talk about weight of dice, I've forgotten burst cannon's been upgraded to assault four. So now you're talking about <laughs> a lot of dice mm. being down, and then they'll also uh, they say keeping things in reserve. So if you can null deploy and wait out the first turns one and two, kind of blunt an alpha strike, this could be a really cool counterattack army. Yeah, it could be. Whereas, like, obviously, most armies nowadays feature some kind of strong counter charging unit. So within the turn, they have that unit ready to respond. But um, this is an entire army that can potentially do that. Now you sacrifice the efficiency of objective grabbing and some other things on the first two turns for positioning. And hopefully your opponent doesn't figure out the puzzle and blow up your important unit. That's about to do something crazy on turn three. Right. So. I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out is, yeah, can is this enough to... We'll have to see the rest of the codex. I can't make a decision today, obviously. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, is that enough to make up for it? You know, that's where, like, okay, I gave up turn one, turn two. I'm down 30 on primary. Here comes my, my second wave. So, Yeah. Like, um, this is a direct comparison and also my distaste for Dark Angels. I'm sorry, all you Dark Angels players, but... No, I, I don't like I don't like your Marines. Um, <laughs> so a Dark Angels army responding to Tau. Dark Angels doesn't want to interact. Well, Tau doesn't want to interact for two turns. 
turn three, all of a sudden Tao is now interacting with Dark Angels and they're just, ah, ah, leave me alone. That's the perfect kind of scenario where you have a very reserved Dark Angels player going into Tau, but Tau then will suffer against a very aggressive army like Drukari can be, like orcs naturally are, um, potentially craft worlds if you do some kind of really aggressive build with them. Hmm. That's a good, good point. So it'll be something in the game. Do you have to? Is that part of list construction? You have to choose which one you're going to do. Can you do both? Can you viably build an army that can do both the Cayenne and Monka? I don't know. I have to wait till this book comes out. There's a lot of interesting. I'd be curious to see how much flexibility you really have as a player. Mm-hmm. But but otherwise, I'm way less knowledgeable about Tau than anything else. It's so. been a while for me, so that's what I'm looking at. I go on like a. Th- but, you know, kind of think of what the old builds are. I can see them trying to get away from that, but um, at the same point, I'm like, okay, what's really viable in the book and what's not? But rest assured, if you're a Space Marine fan, the new model that just came out will solve all your problems. Mm-hmm. Yep, just good old Gravis Captain with a gigantic chainsword. So, yay? Yeah, just when he didn't have enough Marines, we've got another one. There you go. Hey, at least he's not a lieutenant. That's true. It's moving up the ranks. Uh, if you want more Zeno's fun, though, got to head over to Fayot212. Uh, as usual, his uh, source here is following the advent calendar that GW is uh, mostly showing pictures. And I have to say, most of the pictures so far this week look more and more chaos-y, uh, chaos space marine than Eldar lately. But it's all right. We've got more news about your favorite Asuriani models. So first one coming up, yeah, this is from today, is um, Warlocks. Uh, we're moving to an elite slot, which is wonderful. They're kind of clogging up that HQ slot. And because of that, they get the added fun of, they'll get just like Grey Knights, they get a full-powered smite as opposed to the uh, less impressive Destructor. That being said, uh, brace yourself, Dire Avengers and Rangers are being moved out of the troop slot. Dire Avengers uh, and rangers will become elites and allegedly the new ranger bike that has been rumored to come out will be a fast attack so that will leave you with it robert and i were kind of debating this before the show started native to the current codex that would just leave you with guardians and storm guardians which we'll talk about a little bit later then robert you brought up a key point yeah um with the potential with the rumor that Yanari, Harlequins, and Corsairs are all shoved into the craft world thing and say, here, play nice. Um, you could potentially see regular Harlequin troops as troop choices. Which would be very, very interesting to see that. So uh, will they still, do you need a specific HQ to unlock that? Is it by detachment? How is that going to work? Be curious to see how they make that happen. All I know is, is that I want Dark Reapers. <laughs> anyway, moving on to Dire Avengers. They still retain Blade Storm. It is now a stratagem. For one CP, you get to shoot twice. The Avenger catapults have been upgraded to a three-shot AP minus two. And the Shimmer Shield still gives a four-up invul. But they still have a way to get um, objectives secured, but it's done so via a Exarch Power. So that's all the news on Dire Avengers. 
Uh, warp spiders get a little bit of an upgrade as well. Spinners are now base AP minus two, uh, but they lose that uh, extra wound on a D6 to wound. So just a um, flat minus two makes it a little more consistent. They also have a power very similar to um, Mandrakes from Drukarian that they can, after the shooting phase, they can just pop up into the, uh, go back into reserve and deep strike at a later time. Swooping Hawks have Last Blasters. They've been moved up to strength four. And they get an auto wound on sixes to hit, which is, sounds gross considering the weight of dice they have. And they also have the ability to throw grenades, but it's now uh, mortal wounds that's capped at um, only once per turn, which was always a controversial uh, rules glitch. So, because enlighten me, what is that mortal wound rule? Because this is still all on swooping hawks, right? Right. So swooping hawks, when they came down from deep strike, they could drop grenades on their opponent. And there was the way the ruling was, it's very confusing whether you could drop them on multiple units or was it an, back in the old days, it was a template. You just, you just mm. drop the template down. And then the Exarch basically you drop the Exarch down and put the template over the Exarch. And if you're under the template, you got hit by the grenade pack. And then when we got rid of the t- templates, they made it into a unit that's within a certain amount of range. Well, it was very unclear. It says, well, there's multiple units. Can I drop down multiple packs? Can And then what if multiple Swooping Hawks come down? So we had these like scenarios where the Swooping Hawks would come down and just wipe out entire flanks. So this finally clarifies it a little bit. Well, whoever has their Swooping Hawks now, <laughs> congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> they're the only Aspect Warrior that's out of stock. <laughs> well, they're very handy in the current rules, for, especially for Rod, because they also have the ability to... Just like Mandrakes and just like we talked about with Warp, uh, warp Spiders, they can go back into reserve. But man, uh, Swooping Hawks could do it at nauseum. So I come in mm-hmm. this turn, I go back in reserve next turn. I come in next turn, go back in the reserve. Yeah. So just so that way I understand, Warp Spiders are flamer dudes, whereas the Fire Dragons are the Melta guys. Warp Spiders, their claim to fame was, and it's... They, it's one of those funky rules that, depending on which edition was, ridiculously overpowered or ridiculously useless. Their idea is that they're teleporting in and out of reality as they're approaching you. And they're shooting these like little web shooter type things. So they had a, what's called a flicker jump. And that gave them ridiculous movement. In some cases, they literally teleported across the table like Necrons. Other, most recently... You rolled 46, and that becomes their new movement value plus the fly keyword. And the trick was that if you rolled snake eyes, you'd lose a guy. And he got kind of got left behind in the warp. So they were supposed to be zipping all over the battlefield. And they had uh, their web spinners were, uh, the big thing was, yeah, if you rolled sixes, they cause additional damage. So they, mm, okay. So that was, that was their big thing. For a while, they were super broken in seventh because they could do a flicker jump when you shot them or charged them. So basically, like, oh, you're, I'm within range. Well, let me flicker jump. Now I'm out of range. Sorry, you just wasted your shooting phase. Or I'm going to charge you. Now I'm going to fall back a little bit. And then now you have to make a 15-inch charge. Sorry, you can't do that. <laughs> so I'm just going to laugh at you. <laughs> Well, that's kind of rude. Yeah, they were super broken in 7th. And then in 8th, they got kind of reeled in a bit. Okay, I guess I'll just have to get the codex to really know, because as I look at the models, 
fire dragons have what look like melted guns and yes. worse fighters have what look like flamers. Yeah. So I'm just like, ah, yeah, it's weird. Cause the, there is a forge world wraith knight variant, the scotch, I think it's pronounced. We used to call it the Sasquatch wraith knight. And that's the one I took to Helvio. Oh, I think my second year. And it's basically a giant warp spider. It has those, it has these giant particle projectors that shoots these little web things at people. And it used the, remember the Hellstrom flamer templates? <laughs> um, that was like the big flamer template that had like the four other circles at the end of it or something, something like that. like that, right. And he could fire that twice because I had two of them. Oh. So, he, oh, God. Yeah, this was awesome. So, just tell you how he had, this is a quick, quick, uh, story from uncle eric here so that's how crazy seventh was my opponent was playing we were playing the relic which was a god-awful mission which means there's one objective in the center of the table and you can't move you can pick it up and you can move it but you can't move it more than six inches per phase and if you're holding on to it at the end of the game you get like x number of points and if you have it in your deployment zone and hold on to it you get max points there's no other <laughs> that, that was primary that was it. <laughs> so my opponent is playing Trader Guard. So he decides to flop two units of uh, 30, uh, what are the um, Penal Legion guys called? It's conscripts. Mm-hmm. And he goes, ha, I've got 60 bodies surrounding the relic. Go for it, dude. All right. I play down one template. <laughs> All auto hit. <laughs> And I think it's like strength something. So I'm wounding all these cultists on twos. <laughs> I picked up all 60 of them. <laughs> so I was like, all right, some something from your army is now going to have to come forward to claim the relic. Bring it on, dude. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was turn one. He just looked at me like, what the hell? <laughs> anyway. That's a, that's a heck of a turn. Yeah, but anyway, that was a yeah. fun way to start the tournament. That game with just went sad. That just game personified everything that was wrong with seventh edition. Because then he had all his guns, which all had multiple templates. So now you're he just launched. We're talking like I think he had twenty eight templates he had to place using the scatter die, and it was just a constant argument of that's not where it goes. No, the arrow is pointing this way. Now the center of the arrow. Okay, and it just never got settled. It was ridiculous. Anyway. Thank God we're past those. Looking to the future now. Phoenix Lords and Aspect Warriors. So Phoenix Lords across the board get a 4-up invol. Aspect Warriors get a 5-up invol. And uh, most of them will getting an additional attack. And all staying at roughly weapon skill, ballistic skill 3. Exarchs, of course, will be hitting on 2s. Mm. So that'd be pretty cool. Uh, weaponry, surprise, surprise, Bright Lance will still be strength 8, AP minus 4, but of course damage will be upgraded to D3 plus 3 to keep up with their dark cousins. The Shuriken Cannon will also keep up with their dark cousins, will be AP minus 1, damage 2. And just like every other Shuriken uh, weapon, if you roll a 6 to wound, you get an additional minus 2 to our total of minus 3 on the attack. The Falcon Pulse Laser gets a major glow up, it goes from strength 8 3 damage to strength 9 d3 plus 3 damage. Got to remember that only is a heavy support, but it's also a troop transport. Oh, the fire prism? The uh, falcon. <laughs> oh, the falcon the tank. Falcon. So this thing, it holds, yeah, at the, back in the day it had a tra- troop capacity of 6, so it was pretty handy for uh, 
things like Dire Avengers or just some or small spatterings of Aspect Warriors. It was pretty cool. Mm, so the fact that it has a much bigger gun is yeah. <laughs> rather handy. And back, that's the reason why people took it, even in 8th edition, because it had one of the bigger guns available in the Codex. That gun is getting bigger. It's pretty nice. Uh, the Scatter Laser, the Scourge of 6th and 7th edition, this was on jet bikes, is now st- 6 shots, strength 6, AP 0. So it's just getting, I think it was 6 shots, a strength 4 back in the day. So that's pretty big glow up. Okay, so an up in strength, but no AP, so right. it's a weight of dice thing. Absolutely. We also can remember back then, too, you also had uh, Guide and Doom. So you're re-rolling ones to hit and re-rolling damage. So... Or to wounds, I should say. Guardians. So we talked about them. They might be the last remaining choice in your troop slot. They better get better. Well, get a little better. Guardians, they have a four-up armor instead of five, similar to the uh, Trakari Warriors. A Shuriken Catapult is an 18-inch range and the base AP minus one. So that's an improvement there. Still Assault, too. So really handy with their battle focus, assuming that stays the same. And still has the uh, additional minus two and a six to wound. Storm Guardians um, get this is where everybody just blew their mind. They have a minor version of transhuman phil- uh, physiology where they cannot be wounded on ones or twos. So it's not clear if this is a base ability or an upgrade ability. Okay, so. And I, I guess I've never actually seen the difference of what's like a Storm Guardian versus a regular Guardian. I'm assuming it's just a points increase in different rules, not, like no difference in models. So similar to between uh, Orc Boys. So the Guardians have the Shuriken Catapults, whereas the Storm Guardians have a pistol and chainsword. Got it. So Chopper versus Shooter You got it. So the new chain blades are also AP minus one, and supposedly Storm Guardians will be three attacks now. Hmm. Altarks, uh, they uh, give the rerolls to core models only in this particular game, and um, but there is a strategy way to extend them to vehicle units. That'd be interesting, because I don't think any other army has that ability. They are five attacks, just like an Archon, and there's relics and warlord traits that make them into pretty big blenders. So, Return of the Old Favorite, Shard of Anaris. This was the sort of choice back in 7th edition. It's a Strength plus 1, EP minus 3, Damage 1. Eh, okay. It's not great. And then you see uh, it adds 3 plus... as 3 plus D3 attacks. So, a minimum of 4, up to 6 additional attacks. <laughs> so, that, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Another big scourge of the more recent editions, the Wave Serpent. This is their primary troop transport. Uh, they finally made the uh, Serpent Shield a little more uh, manageable. It has a 5-up invol, but it has a transhuman type ability where it can only be wounded on 4s. Wow. Okay, so that's the same thing that they did to the Quantum Shielding Correct. vehicles in Necrons. Correct. And that brings mm-hmm. it back to Wraith Blades in Wraith Guard, which we talked about last time. So there we go. Those are your Eldar updates for this week. Man, it, it's getting harder to be like, okay, I, you build this. Ar- I want to build this army because it looks pretty. But at that point, I build the army because it looks pretty. I'm going to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that other army, we're going to go, go to, into it 
as much detail because, quite frankly, I'm still trying to unpack it and understand it. But there's a great article on Frontline Gaming. It gives three list ideas for it. Is uh, in the newest White Dwarf, there is a, a new Tyranid army of renown called, uh, you know what? I'm just blanked on the name because I was. It's the um, Monster Stampede. Yeah, I think it's got a fancier name. Crusher Stampede is the official name. There we go. So the short version, what's in this? If you have the swarm category, you need to stay home. If you have less than three wounds, you're not buff enough to be in this gym. Why is this important? Because this means that you're talking about an extremely effective low model count army, which is ideal for tournaments, especially if you like to travel. Ain't that the truth. They, what they get in return for all this, it's pretty deafening, actually. They all get a 5-up invul and a, at least, I think there's six stratagems. There is a new psychic tree, which has three uh, spells on it, two of which are awesome. Even the third one is, that's it's situational, but in the right situation, it's good. It just has a lot to offer. So give you an idea of some of the lists that some of the, that's coming out here, because uh, it still stacks with Leviathan. So you, to get your... Um, campaign book out and so you have all the leviathan buffs on top of this thing it's nuts so for example this one they gave out this one's a little tougher because you're going to need the uh, forge world stuff uh two hive tyrants uh a slayer tyrant which i believe is the flying one yep as this warlord two units of three tyranid warriors one unit of nine tyranid warriors two tyrannifexes with acid spray and oh a hierophant I heard Hierophant and I'm like, what? Yeah. Um, the Macarians, they're not dead yet. There's another one Slayer Tyrant, Daka Flyrant, Swarm Lord, three units of three warriors, one unit of three warriors, three Dimacarons, a Carnifex, and a Scythe Herodol. That sounds like something a guy here in the in our local meta plays. Yeah. Oh, I knew I forgot there was another role. So you're probably thinking yourself, there's no objective secured. I'm going to kill you on primary. Yeah, about that. Um, they have a nifty rule, which I'm like, why wasn't this in the Knights rule codex? Well, it might be. When the any models in this army are holding an objective with the monster keyword, they count the number of moons remaining as the number of models holding the objective. Which was, I think that goes back to like fourth edition fantasy rules. Yeah, like um, for instance, this is also going to make me really, really upset. Um, ogres in Age of Sigmar, the original rules were they count as two models per body on the objective. Here, um, characters count as can count as five, and monsters can count as ten. Um, but that's completely pointless when your army just gets melted, but regardless. Right. So um, the fact that they went to the length of, oh, your Tyrannifex that has the Flamer gun on it has like 12 or 14 wounds. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, that's 14 models. Yep. It outscores a, um, a Dominus level knight. Pretty crazy stuff. So yeah, it's stick back to the uh, old 5th edition rules of uh, kill troops, win games. That's, this applies to you. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. 
They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. You can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy. The boxes help protect your models. And if you, when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com, and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Exterminatus Podcast. One more army to enjoy. I like this one a lot. I may actually try this one. Uh, old One-Eye, Swarmlord, three units of three warriors, three Tyrant Guard, and then three units of three Carnifexes. Ooh, big brutes. Yep. I'm sorry, that's not the one I like. This is the one I like. It's got a ton of warriors in it. Uh, Slayer Tyrant, Swarmlord, one unit of nine warriors, three units of three warriors, two Exocrines, a Barbed Hero Duel, a Harpy, a Malanthropes, another unit of six warriors, and a Tyranifex. All of these are names. I'm just like, oh, I know what that is. That's a big bug. That's another big bug. Those are a whole bunch of little big bugs. Uh... That's a lot of wounds yeah. to chew through. And the Malanthropes giving you a, a giving a, a minus one aura out to all these guys. Now I'm not going to feel so bad for bringing Eldar against bugs, but I'm, I'm going to shoot orcs yeah. at them first. So this particular list, an Exocrine in the Barb Herodules makes a cordless list, forming a castle. You lay down uh, a lot of firepower using these armies that they, armies cannot ignore with the synaptic link. Isn't vital for the Exocrine as it already gets plus one for against a target um, with a minus one, so it kind of evens itself out. Remember, also you don't have to move these units. The Exocrine move; to- it can shoot twice. So, fun stuff. Yeah, but the fun bit that I heard is, um, aside from the one mention of Tyrant Guard, you never mentioned a single unit of Hive Guard as long as I, as far as I could hear. Correct. I have to double check. I believe they do not have enough wounds to play. Well, I mean, Hive Guard are are three wounds a body because they they're made out of the Tyrant Guard things. That is a good point. Interesting. So maybe it's maybe just maybe we're going in. We're eventually cycling into the big body meta. Well, interesting. I was listening to I'm trying to remember which show it was, but I'll just give the gentleman credit because he's just an encyclopedia of 40k knowledge because he nobody watches more games than this guy i don't think is uh, adam camilleri and one of the things he felt is that tyranids are the army closest to the shelf about ready to fall over and specifically because if you listen to the list right now especially the leviathan list shooting twice stratagems are going away the chances that hive guard will still be able to shoot twice with is slim to none so you start losing that. You start losing a lot of the fight twice in combat things. What else will Tyranids bring to the table to be competitive? So be curious to see how that, that changes. If they still keep, um, I believe it's Onslaught, I think it's the name of it, or Opportunity Advance. I can't remember one of the two. The one you can basically fall back in any direction. is um, It's one of these where you can actually leap forward and, and grab each... It's just a nasty way of moving, getting extra movement. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's onslaught. Okay, because that was what I remember when Tyranids in Third Edition. That was what made them so deadly. Was they, they kill your screen and then they can attack. They can charge again, and you're just like, what? <laughs> yeah, because I also know they're right now. I think it's a 
stratagem or something called metabolic overdrive. Yes. That, yeah, no, that's what made gene sealers so terrifying when I first ran into them. Oh, yeah, I know. We're going to go blah, and then we're going to pile into the next unit and then overdrive blah, 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 yep. and just continue eating. Yeah, this ridiculous threat range, and you just, you're, especially now when you're, you need to be on the objective on your command phase, turn two, but now you're leaving yourself to be, you know, you're exposing yourself to these genes that are to charge all over you. They're no joke, man. I, oh. Yep. <clears throat> I still put way too many shots into gene stealers, even if it's only a 10 man, because that 10 man will kill something. Yep. So we haven't forgot about the competitive life going on. There's still a few tournaments uh, hanging in there and just enough to uh, tip the scales a little bit going into the Christmas break before LVO. Uh, we move to uh, the Rise of the Empire GT. And interesting enough, the top five featured a couple uh, top players. George Bobkoff coming in fifth with Chaos. Friend of the show, Colin McDade coming in fourth with Harlequins. And this was significant as this vaults him back into the top spot for best in faction. Third place was Josiah Cook with Tyranids. Connor Hogan came in second with Deathwing, but lurking from the shadows, he's back. Sean Naden with Jukari was able to win this. And uh, just across town at the Sunken City GT, uh, Brad Chester could only muster an eighth place finish after uh, he had took a second round loss with Suriani. So apparently that random list that he was given at Austin. He's stuck into it. <laughs> He's still playing Space Elves. Yep. The, um... Oh, here we go. I was sorting by battle points. That's why it threw me through a loop. Because <laughs> um, it actually has Brad Chester um, in sixth place. Sixth place. My mistake. Sorry about that, Brad. Um, but yeah, so just above Brad, um, you have Jake... Sindelar with Jukari, Colton Long with Imperial Knights, Cowabunga. Um, third place, you have Bretton Weiss with Cult Mechanicus. In second place, you have John DeFrank with Orcs. And in first place, Tom Ogden with Black Templars. So looking at your top 10 in the ITC currently for this week. So again, we're recording the Monday before the Christmas holiday. We've got James Kelling in 10th place with 1,268 points. Ninth place, Nick Nadavati. Eighth place, Colin McDeed. Seventh place, Anthony De Vanilla. Sixth place, from England, Malik Mamin Rubio. Fifth place, Jack Harpster. Crashing the party here, late in the party. Fourth, uh, Manny Chima. Third place, Sean Naden. Second place, Brad Chester. That's right, he dropped from his throne, and now John Lennon's back on top with 1,431 points. So still pretty much anyone's game, but I think one thing to bear in mind is uh, you've got both Manny Chima and Malik Rubio from England. Are they going to make it to LVO with the current COVID situation? Um, I know the situation is coming to a much more stressful thing because when I was looking at some of Scari's Instagram posts and stuff, he got asked a question by a, a follower that if he's going to be able to make it to LVO and apparently even Canada is starting to put more restrictions back in place. So he's even scar is thinking he's not going to be able to come down from Canada. Yeah. It's unfortunate. If those of you remember uh, last year at this time, we and talking to Jim uh, vessel going back and forth from Canada to the United States, just what a hassle it was. 
because he has to do mandatory quarantining on your dime in a hotel. So um, that, and they're not like you can pick which hotel and with a coupon, there's like certain designated hotels for quarantine purposes. So it's becomes very costly and very uh, time consuming as well. So it may just not be worth it. So, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. So I think it'd be very interesting. What is the final head count for that first round of L- uh, LVO and which players are able to make it, and which ones aren't and which ones are also just making a, adult decision that maybe this isn't the time to go. Yeah. Especially because of the fact that with everything else going on and with the game going to be basically changing next year with the release of Eldar and then eventually chaos, some people very well, very well just be waiting for their army books instead of going to a tournament and playing subpar or out of, out of sorts rules. True. Uh, the other side of me kind of goes, maybe this is my year. And, and sure, this is the year. If you win it this year, would there always be a little asterisk next to your name? Eh, possibly. But at the end of the day, you still won. So mm-hmm. um, maybe this is the year that we we see somebody. Maybe this is the year someone like a Bradchester or Sean Naden who have been continuously top five players with never winning. Maybe this is their year to do it. Who knows? So kind of have to look at it both ways yeah i know my original long shot call was that john lennon was going to take it into this entire year i'm still riding that coattail not for money not for anything just saying ha called it um but the follow-up is definitely maybe maybe sean Nain will be able to do it this year and finally stop being the bridesmaid and finally be the bride with the biggest wedding ever <laughs> So, so anyway, that is our, also in, in a nutshell, our LVO tip for the week is uh, I'm going to review your COVID protocols and make sure, is it safe for you to travel? Uh, we're not telling you what to do. Just be informed and make the best decision and we'll respect whatever decision you make. But um, there's a bright future ahead for 40K over the next few months and um, maybe make more sense to get your six events in early as opposed to burning one of your events here at LVO. Mm-hmm. But that being said, we still love to see you there because uh, both of us are going. So, yep. At, at this point, I think I need to make like a ter- like a transport mat or something like that with the Exterminus podcast on it. <laughs> so that way, it's like, yeah, no, I'm part of this. Well, I've got it on the back of my jersey, so you can easily see that. So, but once, yeah, once I got work on my, making my to do list today, kind of going over it and realize. I don't have a display board. Oh, crap. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to be carrying my normal, like, wooden carrying tray. I'm not displaying stuff. <laughs> oh, I'm always wanted, because I, I had a great idea for one, but I'm like, am I going to be able to pull it off in time? So, yeah, it just helps. So, and then they got to think of, okay, I have those uh, magnet trays. So the, uh, all my models are magnetized to the tray in the, in the bag. So I'm like, okay, what kind of material can I get from the hardware store that will allow them to magnetize to the, the display board? Or do I just use extra trays from that company? I don't mm-hmm. know. So I'm trying to figure it all out. Yeah. And uh, actually, now that I remember it, there is one final thing that did come out from FLG, and that's actually they released their event schedule for next year. I did forget. Oh, my gosh. How could I have skipped over that? You're right. All right, let me get my travel agent on the phone. Here, tell, Robert, tell me what's going on. 
Well, the obviously after LVO 2022, the very first one is the inaugural um, Cherokee Open out in North Carolina. That one's in February. And then we have a tried and true classic, um, a good old favorite of the late Jeff Robinson. Bay Area Open has apparently come back this year. That's in May. And then we have the Atlantic City Open in June. That one went off without a hitch. And then in July, right on the tail of Atlantic, is the Lone Star Open. And then immediately after that one in August is something new called Cruise Hammer. I don't know how to feel about playing on a boat. <laughs> um, then back in September is the return of the Las Vegas Team Tournament. And then October, just like this year, was is going to be the SoCal Open. And to wrap it all up is Las Vegas Open of twenty in twenty twenty three in January. So interesting. I did not think the team tournament was going to make a return. I uh, heard uh, they did not they financially not do that well at that particular tournament. And on the other hand, also no New Orleans. Interesting. They're not going back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the New Orleans Open is um, being replaced with the possibility of the Cherokee Open. But the Cherokee Open is right at the end of February, almost immediately after LVO. So depending on how players feel about doing that many majors back-to-back, I mean, I know for a fact that these one, two, three, four, five, six, seven events at least a good chunk of all of the super competitive teams are going to be there. But they're also pretty widespread too, because going from one coast to the other is it's a lot of demand, but at least we know ahead of time. So plan accordingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm currently thinking of going to the loan, either the Lone Star open SoCal, the team tournament, or being the, the little, um, visitor, out at Cherokee, if I can squeeze it in from work. Of course, local to us, uh, coming for next year, just a quick reminder, the Scorched Earth Open will be at the Arizona Game Fair March 11th, excuse me, March 12th and 13th will be the Scorched Earth Open event. That Friday the 11th, we are planning a uh, additional event, kind of a fun event just to get your uh, little uh, get your Dice rolling, get your everything warmed up, get your army situated. We'll have more details on that coming forward. But think big is what I'm all I gotta say is it may be an opportunity to dust off those titans. So, do I need to bring a stompa? You can bring as many stompas as you want. Oh man, that that's that's a challenge here. Don't make <laughs> me do that. Yeah, we're we're looking at an apocalypse event. Um, looking really forward to it. Trying to right now, I'm trying to get. Uh, versed in the rules again because it's been a while since i played it and um deciding whether it would be a linked table event or just take a whole bunch of tables slam them together and play across a gigantic surface we're not sure yet but more details on that to come but yeah the actual gt will be um the 12th and 13th uh those of you who had bought a ticket for our previous event which got uh was a casualty of COVID and you decided to forward your ticket to this year, it has been honored and you should have received an email from the Arizona Game Fair uh, reminding you as well as run from our team as well. So if that is the case, look forward to seeing you there. We already have sold over 40 uh, tickets. So we are well into the uh, 
what used to be the GT and now easily going to be major territory, but I guess that won't matter um, moving forward um, for the new season. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Uh, I'm going to try and take it this year, Eric. I'm going to real try. So defending champ is Ben Jurek. <laughs> he was running freebooters two years ago. So curious to see what he'll be bringing this year. So um, curious to see uh, if he'll be able to defend his title this coming year. Yep. But otherwise, um, I don't have any other random news tucked away in my pocket. I don't. Oh, we got one more no news, but we do have a little challenge for the team here. So a uh-huh. little Christmas gift. Um, so James Workshop calls you on the phone and says, we want you for Warhammer Plus to develop a show. What is your show? Hmm. Hmm. Orc, no good think on spot. <laughs> uh... uh uh yeah no i have no clue because they already have an orc show but i'm trying to think of yeah what would be a little bit different and for me one of the things that's and it's gonna be like oh god he's talking about this again but one of the things that's criminally undersold and undermarketed in my opinion is their terrain series because when you buy terrain from gw right now you buy a kit so you're like "Mm, the storage vein i will put it together per the instructions oh that looks pretty i need four of these to make a, a decent sized terrain piece that will work in competitive play. And I have to buy eight of these to like fill my table. What people don't realize is the 40K terrain that includes both the Gothic stuff, the Mechanicus stuff, even the Necromunda stuff is all modular and they all fit together like Lego pieces. Mm-hmm. So my show would be, look what I built. People go, ooh, I'm going to show you how. You need to buy this set and this set and this set. We're going to mash them together. And I'm going to show you how I put it together and then you paint it. And that's the show week after week. All right. So I think I nailed my show. (laughs) My show is obviously going to be weird and it's not going to have any kind of impact on anything. Um, It's literally going to be the orc rating show of lootability of whatever we can find. There we go. So if I remember, looted wagons are still in the Crusade rules, right? Yes, in the in the second Octarius book, um, they actually did give us the ability to do looted wagons. And back in the Vigilist detachments, I never got to do it, but you could make a battle fortress. A battle fortress could hold like thirty or forty boys in it, and it just had to be the size of a bane blade or something equivalent. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, I know it was fun. <laughs> I never got to do it though. But it, was, it would have been fun. It's funny. It's like Battle Fortress is like one of those models that you saw it in Epic, but you never saw it in 40K. You're like, oh, what is that? That would be cool. Well, I mean, and looting an entire Bane Blade would just take forever. Right. <laughs> but still cool stuff there. But it's one of those things. Yeah, I kind of missed that. You look at some of the rules, you're like, I never saw those. It's when I first played, say, Epic. I remember. Um, all the other 40k players would come over and start staring at my army. I'm like, what? I know it's not the best paint job. What's up? And he finally went, mm-hmm. this bottle doesn't exist in 40k. We're just checking it. I'm like, oh, at that point, the Viper hadn't come out yet for Eldar. So they're like, what is that? Oh, it's the Viper jet bike. It's the two-man version. I'm like, that's so cool. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know for me, it's like the the one unit that I do wish existed from Forge World for Orcs is a Gargant, which is the Super Stompers. Yeah, the Titan size. Uh, yeah. 
those things were a pain in the butt because those things, yeah, they were unlike any other faction when I played those. Is they could hold troops. So where like a Reaver Titan from a Imperial, he's, he's laying down a lot more fire. The Gargant comes rolling over. And, oh, there's an objective? You guys. Bolson starts vomiting 30, 40 orcs. You're just like, oh, crap. <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah, those things were nasty. Those gross, gross, gross. Yeah. Oh, um, I don't know if it was in the James Workshop video or not, but I think there was a poster somewhere talking about, like, showing off some other things. And um, it showed off what looked like a Battlefleet Gothic ship. Really? Yeah, right at the end. It was one of, like, three Christmas posters up on the wall or something like that. And I went, that looks like an Imperial cruiser. But anyway, that's that's just me speculating uh, of potentially doing Battlefleet Gothic because I've already bought almost every other game anyway. <laughs> I'd be so glad to bring that back. I, I'd be curious if they... Because they already switched around the scale on... Was it Titanicus? Adeptus, yeah. So if they came brought goth, Gothic back, would they stick to the the old scale, or would they kind of make it like the Star Wars uh, Armada, that, where the cruisers are like almost eight to nine inches long? That would, I think. Um, knowing what they, knowing what they're kind of doing, where Aeronautica Imperialis is much smaller, even though like the mega bomber on forge world is something like the size of the palm of my hand. Right. Um, I, I think they would make it in a similar kind of scale as Titanicus where it's a little more manageable. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, cause that was one of those, it's, it's basically for those who don't never played it. Battlefleet Gothic was you know, spaceships in space. They even, I think even had a solar wind, you know, which was kind of funny. Um, but the hardest part with the game was they had so many different terrain rules, and you're like, terrain is actually like asteroids and uh, debris markers and derelict ships and stuff like that. But it made the game a lot more interesting. That's one thing I don't like about space, uh, Star Wars Armada is there's there's I just line up my ships, and hopefully I can outmaneuver you, but if I have enough long-range firepower, I'm just going to blow you up from a distance. There's not, nothing you can hide behind. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the neat things about it. It was a much more of a naval game where you're trying to maneuver around stuff. And depending, unfortunately, which you kind of had to clarify with your opponent, okay, this counts as what now? Because certain, like there was the flat planets versus the obscuring planets that it really get, did you, were they blocking or could I fly over them type thing? So that was always confusing, especially if your opponent had like Eldar, which had a double move type function. So. Yeah, no, that was just something that I noticed in one of in a trailer somewhere. So I'll have to go rewatch it and see if I can find exactly where I saw it. But otherwise, yeah, no, just fun little hobby stuff. Oh yeah, it'd be fun to bring that back. I had so much fun playing that game. Yeah, I know. Once we're done with the show tonight, I'm going to be gluing my butt to a chair and I'm going to be painting Defcoptas. So that for LVO. Oh yeah. Oh my god, those are. Yeah, <laughs> let's get you started on your painting. So that will be uh, our show for tonight. Uh, if we don't talk to you guys beforehand, have a wonderful holiday from all of us here at the Exterminatus Podcast. And thank you again for listening. Yup, the Red Goblin's going to bring you some good stuff. Naughty or nice. <laughs> okay, computer just froze. Awesome.
And it's still recording. I know. Awesome. I know. <laughs> I added this part out. There we go. Come on. <laughs> this is pretty fun. Yep. Uh, so I, I'm keeping track of the time for your editing. So like the last 14 minutes, you should be good to edit out. There we go. <laughs>